2: To get started, visit plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. Welcome to the Wild Ones Podcast, episode 27. This is the show where we chat about bike stuff. Francis is still away, but don't worry because this week I'm joined by producer Emily and very special guest, my best friend in the entire world, App No, I've done it wrong again, haven't I? <laughs> Perry from
3: Pendulum. <laughs> You're my best friend. Predia. <laughs> <laughs> Predir, perfect. I'm getting better at it. You are. You are indeed. You did like telling me that I pronounced your name wrong. Yeah. you can ju- you just said it properly, so yeah. Shemai,
2: Satai T. sutai ti. Yeah. Great. That's I, Welsh. I literally run out there. That's that's <laughs> about as much as I've got. So Perry, as I said, is the guitarist from the band Pendulum. He has also been a pro cycling commentator on Welsh language channel S4C. S. to some of us for the past 10 years. This is, so next year is going to be your 10th year. No, counting. no, this year this was. This year our 10th, was, yeah.
3: So we've done 10 years of the tour, five years of the Giro, and we did the Vuelta for the first time this year as well. So I've done 16 grand tours in total. That is more than me. Yes, yeah, like it's like I'm George Hincapie, isn't it?
2: So as I like to remind you, uh, probably more than I should, you are a legit rock star. How is it... Juggling being a rock star and a cycling commentator—it's
3: a bit odd, isn't it? Well, it, th- those two jobs are well, if I either of those jobs are, are odd anyway. But having two of them at the same time is slightly mad. The um, my first year, um, when I got asked to do it. Um, they asked me if I was free in July. I said no because I was on tour. So I flitted between touring and, um, and and commentating. As well so but on the second the second year I did it um we started it was when it started in Utrecht in 2015 and I was on tour with Faithless at the time so in Netherlands and Belgium so I was flitting flit between the two getting a train from the Tour de France to a gig then a train back to get so I had about, in about five days I had about maybe 10 hours sleep because I was wasn't sleeping at all I was just traveling
2: I I suppose, worst case scenario, you can do the tour in the day and gig by
3: night. Yeah, that's kind of what was happening. But if you do that, you don't get any sleep, which I've found out many times. It gets a bit tiring after a while because the sleep deprivation certainly does catch up with you.
2: Right, shall we move on to this week's debrief? Um, As luck would have it, our first news story is actually from the world of pro cycling, at the weekend, Yumbo Visma excitedly announced that they signed a new rider, Belgium Pro, Kian, Kian Eterbrooks. Can you tell me how that's actually pronounced?
3: Kian Eterbrooks.
2: Oh, did I? Is that right? <laughs> right yeah. So the, the phonetic writing of this on yeah. my screen has actually worked really well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Emily. <laughs> uh, but bosses from his current team, Borahans Grower, were left scratching their heads because he's apparently still under contract with them until the end of 2024. So, the 20 year old rider is a strong up and comer. He finished eighth in the Vuelta. And Yumbo Visma clearly thought that it was a done deal, putting out a gushing press statement that he is the perfect fit for their team. But Borahans Grower responded with their own statement saying, Kian is and will remain a member of Borahans Grower. He is contractually bound to us until the 31st of December 2024. Um, so, you hit, there's two teams basically saying he's under contract to them. Kian's management company then got involved stating that he had started legal proceedings. They hadn't commented on a precise reason for the contract termination, but Dutch newspaper AD alleges that the rider felt bullied by the riders and the staff. The team has denied the allegations. Um, do you know anything? Have you come across this story?
3: Yeah. Um, it's it's a bit of a mess, really, isn't it? Roglic has gone to gone the other way. He actually terminated his contract with Jumbo in October, right? Because uh, it, it all depends on your contract, I suppose. If you can terminate it, there, there must be some sort of get out clause in it, yeah. And Roglic's get out clause, but he must have loads of them in his contract, yeah. But you know, Erter Brooks is quite a young guy, we don't know what his um contract is like, um, or how good his agent is. I know that Roglic's agent is a guy called Mattia Galli, and he's an amazing agent, yeah. Yeah, he's very, he he looks after um, Vingego as well. Yeah, he's a very, very good agent, so I'm not sure how good Keanu Kean Ertobrooks is, is. And it all depends what's in his contract, really. So um, we don't know the actual full story.
2: I, I guess he must be confident enough that there is some kind of termination clause in there for him to have agreed a contract with someone else. But there's obviously some kind of missed communication somewhere, isn't there, for this to have happened?
3: I think his agent must have told him to say what, what he has to say because yeah. um, it's obviously that he wants out of the team. Um, he kind of slagged off his team at at a few of the races, I think. And and he complained about the equipment as well, about his bike or whatever. So it's obviously he doesn't want to be there. He's obviously not enough, on, a, on enough money. Well, he thinks he's not enough, on enough money. And he's been touted as the new Eddie Merckx Another new Eddie Merckx. Um And uh, he obviously wants more money. And that Yumbo are, are obviously offered it to him. So Yeah. Yeah, we shall see. And today, Yumbo um, uh, announced that he's going to their training camp today. I think it's in Spain somewhere. So probably Denia. But, um, oh, Calpe, so, so, so it's
2: all a bit of a mess, isn't it?
3: It's, yes. But... If there's a rider and he's outspoken, saying, I don't want to be in this team. Why would you want them? Yeah, because the team then is going to go, it's going to give them so much bad press next year. Imagine if they kept him and go, yeah, you're not going anywhere. And he's just there being miserable. Kicking off every opportunity. Yeah, and slagging the team off again. It's not going to look very good at all. So there must has to be some sort of compensation thing involved you know and i think Bora want as much money of, of as possible out of him and from yombo uh,
2: well i guess it yeah i guess a lot of it comes down to that doesn't it because there might be some kind of clause a bit like the football stuff where there ne- needs to be compensation to Borahans grower and therefore if they go no we really wanted him then they've got a public case for well you're going to have to make sure it's are appropriately compensated rather than we wanted to get rid of him
3: anyway yeah well, a similar thing happened last year in F1, there's um, uh, a driver called Oscar Piastri, and he was with Alpine, and he was their test driver for four years. And um, and uh, Alpine said, Oscar Piastri is going to be our our second driver uh, uh, next year. <laughs> and he just tweeted, oh, no, I'm not. Because <laughs> uh, he then went to McLaren. Yeah. So it was a very, very similar situation there. But he went on Twitter and said, I'm not staying with you guys. I know you've spent all this money with me. Um, training me up as uh, an F1 driver but I'm going to McLaren they've got more money than you yeah.
2: so I guess you, well yeah if you've got the opportunity to join a team which on paper is doing better why wouldn't you
3: absolutely And, and I guess you, it's
2: the same for well yes here with Yumba Visma
3: well Yumba are the best team on the planet at the minute and why wouldn't you want to go there I mean you've got Vinga Go and you've got Kuss um, they're they're not he might retire in a few years, but Ertobrooks is like 20 years old. So mm. him in five years' time will be in the same situation now as Vingago. And if he's the new Merckx, he's going to win loads of grand tours. Mm-hmm.
2: If I was a junior as well, I would want, if I had the opportunity to be in a team where I could learn from someone more experienced that has achieved the stuff that I want to achieve, that seems like a no-brainer to me.
3: Absolutely. And... I mean, just look at the, their roster. It's just, it's just an, a nuts roster, mm-hmm. you know, with, um, you yeah, Wout van Aert and Christophe Laporte, you know, just those two guys, you know, uh, and their classics and classes team, you know, Dylan van Barley, you know, just, it's just an amazing team. And if I was a 20 year old, I'd want to be in that team as well. And I would want to double my money. It's, it's a, it's a no brainer really. So it, this will be storming a teacup for a couple of weeks, and then I think, yeah, we'll see him in. Well, it's young Yumbo Lisa Bike next year, isn't it? So, it is, yeah. Yeah, I'll see. I think we'll see him in their strip
2: on the subject of their current roster and big, po- big pro contract disputes. Wout Van Aert found himself being sued for breach of contract in 2019 by his old team when he joined Jumbo Visma. Uh, Van Aert originally won his case and avoided 1.1 million euros in damages, but the decision was overturned in 2021 and Van Aert was ordered to pay 662,000 euro compensation for his move to uh, Jumbo Visma. So I wonder if Jumbo Visma just throw money at getting the best talent and don't care about what what the consequences.
3: Well, Kind of kind of reminds you of um, Sky, you know. Just chuck a lot of money at mm. a lot of very very good cyclists, and that's how you get end up getting the best team.
2: At this point, legal proceedings are still ongoing, and we have to. So we'll have to watch this space to see what actually happens over the coming weeks. On the subject of being a commentator, mm-hmm. how do you deal with hard to pronounce names? Because we, I'm rubbish at pronouncing names at the best of times. As clearly shown by your name which is Welsh and me being Welsh and I should be able to pronounce it. How do commentators get it right?
3: Because well, we do it in the Welsh language we're all bilingual some of us are trilingual as well I used to know French um, my French is terrible now, I used to be really good at French and um, another one of the guys, is fluent Spanish speaker, another one is a German speaker so um, there's a lot of that involved because we're bilingual, it's a lot easier for us to pronounce uh, names that aren't from the uk yeah so um and that's and we actually do go through the names uh, before um the racing starts just to make sure there's a list on the wall in, in our com booth with all the riders and all the dodgy pronunciations we, we'll go through them make sure that they're right yeah and then find if there's one we're not quite sure we will find out um because there's plenty of you just have to google it and you will find out
2: is your memory good enough remember it or do you write do people write things out phonetically
3: um my memory's good enough some of them i've I've got photographic memory anyway so (laughs) i'm really lucky that way but um because we're bilingual we've got kind of a bit of a bit of an advantage there anyway so Uh, yeah and one of our other languages being welsh which is a notoriously difficult language to pronounce anyway i think that's another advantage (laughs) How did you actually get into cycling commentating? Well, um, a friend of mine worked for this production company and he'd seen me putting up photos on Twitter of me up on Stelvio or wherever. And uh, he, he phoned me up and said, you like cycling, don't you? I said, yeah. <laughs> I said, all oh, right, see right. And uh, we're putting, he said, um, we're putting together a pitch for Esparerec, for S4C, to try and get the Tour de France. Um, would you like to be involved in it? I went, Yeah, so that was it. And he phoned me back six weeks later, and he he said, "Oh, we got the gig. What are you doing in July?" That's when I said, "I'm touring." So um, yeah, never done anything like that. I'd done some TV stuff in the past, well, quite a lot of television stuff, but I'd never done any sports stuff, and I'd certainly never done any um, commentary. So we were in at the deep end. So um, I do commentating. I also do punditry on location as well. So I'd be sat, uh, sat there, well, stood there uh, at the finishing line with a microphone, just talking about the race that's just happened or whatever. And I do some interviewing as well. So. Yep. so the first day would have been in Yorkshire, 2014. And I was in front of the camera talking about sports, which I'd never done in my entire life. And no rehearsal, just went bang straight in, which is a bit nuts. <laughs>
2: It's a good job you're a cycling geek, then. Yes, yeah,
3: I, I do. I, I do know quite a lot about it because I'm a bit of a nerd. So, um, so yeah. So I think that's why they got me in to do
2: it. Yeah. So the the show is in Welsh language. Yeah. And then obviously you're not interviewing people in Welsh, so presumably you just drop into English for the interviews.
3: Sometimes we do interview people in Welsh. Um, Stevie Williams, in fact, um, we were. I interviewed him in Welsh the Giro this year so um, some of the Welsh riders do speak Welsh.
2: I'm assuming Garrett Thomas is like me in that he doesn't actually speak Welsh.
3: He he understands a bit. He uh, he speaks a little bit. Um Sarah his wife worked with us uh, for the first two years on the show. So um and Sarah's a uh, first language Welsh speaker. So um she's been teaching him and but he knows a bit while, yeah, me, so
2: next up, Bradley Wiggins has made a big surprise revelation this week in that he doesn't actually ride a bike anymore. He said it's because he doesn't like the person he became when he was on it. He made these comments as part of a six part BBC documentary on imposter syndrome. He also said, I was the most confident bike rider when I was on the bike, but step off it and I had to step back as Bradley Wiggins because the bike was where I was most comfortable and it gave me all my confidence in my life. Uh, He's well known for his unique style and funny moments on podiums, but apparently he has no memory of standing on the Champs-Élysées or any other Olympic podium. He said that the only memory he has is watching it back on TV. He also said he started growing his sideburns and mod hair and clothing because he was self-conscious at being looked at Looked at even and wanted a distraction.
3: You a fan of Bradley Wiggins? Yeah, I think he's great. How could you not be? Well, yeah, he's, he's amazing. He's a bloody nice bloke as well. Um, his because he does a lot of tour stuff. I, I know him through that. So you no, know, uh but going back to the thing about not riding his bike. A lot of the pros, after they finished their their job yeah. as uh, as a bike rider um a lot of them don't want to see a bike ever again yeah because uh, i know quite a few of the guys that used to ride world tour and, and uh, in the other ranks as well and because they used to train so hard you know through the years that they were professional they never ever want to see that torture instrument again you know? yeah it's uh there's quite a few of them you'd be surprised you know, and yeah a lot of them run instead and I just keep fit. Some just don't even bother keeping fit at all. Because uh, it, it's such a horrible memory for them. It's training.
2: I, th- I think something that's really hard to deal with, even as an amateur, is being historic fitness. And, and I think probably when you are at that, the highest level in the world, it must be really hard to like, re- to like normalize, like w- learn what's like normal, Mm. And that probably causes lots of issues. And therefore, like, I've, like, I wouldn't be surprised if Bradley Wiggins ends up riding bikes again in the future just because he po- poodles around with like his kids or something or other. But it's just he, he almost needs to, like, redefine what it is. And I imagine that's why why some then go into running and things, because it's it's a new benchmark. Mm. You're not going like, well, I could be a pro. You're going, well, how fast can I run? OK, cool.
3: Yeah, but uh, I keep on reading about uh, if you're a pro athlete, you need to detrain. Yeah, it takes a couple of years for your body to. I mean, if you just stop training, your body goes into some sort of shock, mm-hmm. and you need to carry on training for a couple of years just taper to it down lean yourself the other way. Of it. Yeah, it's it's an odd thing, but I can totally understand why he doesn't want to do it. You know, it's you know, just put yourself in that situation. You you're out training doing six hours a day, and it, you know, in sunny weather or in horrible weather as well you know it, it is going to affect the way you think about that instrument isn't yeah.
2: it I, on the subject of music i remember when i was young i i remember people always saying to me you should teach drums you should teach drums and i always just remember at the time thinking i don't i don't want it to i don't want it to feel like work i, w- I want music to always just be this like fun playful space and i was i was fearful that if i make it work then i will it will lose that kind of like space, that, that, that thing I get from it. Yeah. And, and I think that's ultimate, you know, like you ride a bike when you're young because you enjoy it. It becomes a, a job that's like absolutely brutal. And then you get to a point where you're like, well, maybe like, maybe not anymore. <laughs> well,
3: yeah, I, I was asked remember a few years ago, the indie pack, um, that the bike race in Australia, you know, they went from Perth mm-hmm. to Sydney. Um, I was asked by one of the guys who, did that in the first year would you ever be interested in doing it I went no way he <laughs> said why because I enjoy riding my bike And if I did that I'd hate it yeah and it just looked looked horrible you know riding what 23 hours a day or whatever and kipping down for an hour then riding again like that would destroy my love of the bike I, I love riding my bike but you know I love riding in beautiful places but putting yourself through that I know I'll learn to hate it. Mm -hmm. So I can see exactly where they're coming from.
2: Have you had that effect with music? So presumably you learned how, you got into music at a young age because you just loved music and obviously it's now your career. Has that had an impact on your enjoyment of it?
3: Not really, no. I've been really lucky that everybody everybody that I've been involved with um, professionally uh, in music, I've really enjoyed the music. I don't think I could do music that I didn't enjoy, but I I actually quite like all types of music anyway. So, But it's not about the music as well. It's about personalities. And most people who work in music, especially tour music, are really nice people because if they weren't really nice people, they wouldn't have that job. Mm -hmm. Half the job, as well as being proficient in your instrument, is getting along with people. Now, if you're on tour and you're a bit of an idiot... If you're a musician, or if you're part of the crew, you're not going to get asked back if you're a bit of a Yeah. So it's um, luckily enough in the music world, most people aren't So.
2: That definitely explains then why I've never made it in the music industry. (laughs) Are you a (laughs) (laughs) Oh dear.
0: (laughs) Depends who you ask, I think.
2: Right, so uh, moving on to the last piece of news, I think. So, Halfords have been getting some flack online this week after a picture emerged of a very dodgy-looking Christmas bike display. The displayed bike in question was a silver halfords own brand Carrera mountain bike. It had been put on a festive-themed plinth with the handlebars wrapped in tinsel, and it had a couple of glaring errors with the setup. The handlebars were in line with the wheel, the way it arrives when you take it out of the box – the fork was backwards. The front mug guard is attached to the down tube, trapping the externally routed shifting cables. The picture was posted online by a customer who branded them health frauds. And someone else said, you would never display a bike like this if you knew anything about bikes. I personally think it's a little bit unfair.
3: It is unfair, because if you know Halfords, you know that every bike displayed looks like that. <laughs> <laughs> every single one of them. Because you obviously get a guy in the in the... Paint department to put it together. It's not, you know, obviously the bike guy wasn't in, um, or maybe wasn't wasn't, but um but yeah, you know, halfords It's not a bike shop. It's a shop with a bike department in it. And even th- when they started selling Boardman bikes back in the day, they'd look like that, you know, with their forks back to front. You know, there'd be s- loose spokes. It's because they're not a dedicated bike shop, and um, and if it's not a, de- a dedicated local bike store you will end up with monstrosities like this yeah i'm afraid but it, it,
2: it feels to me like it's uh, an example of someone that runs the shop or whatever has said can you pull that bike out stick it on that stand and chuck this tinsel on it yeah and they've literally just pulled it straight out of a box put it straight on the stand which if you knew nothing about bikes is probably what you would do. Yeah. You know, we know bikes inside out, so we know that you need to turn the wheel around, put the bars in, etc., etc., etc. But at the end of the day, I, you know, it's a it's a display. I don't personally no. see a problem with it. No, there is probably an argument that perhaps it confuses people because people might see it and go, "Oh, well, that's the way that the wheel is meant to be facing," when obviously it isn't.
3: I mean, it's if I was buying a new bike, I'd never go to Halfords Hoff- to buy a new bike anyway. Yeah, Um I don't many. Cyclists would, but most people in the UK buy their first bike from Halford mm. You know, um, whether whether be a, back in the day, mine was a Rally Chopper, and you know, that's usually the first port of call when a parent goes, "Oh, we're going to buy a bike for for a kid."
2: My first ever bike was yeah. a Mang- a Matt Mango BMX. Oh, right. that we bought from Halford. Yeah,
3: most UK kids in the UK because the first thing that parent thinks thinks of when go, going to buy a bike is where did I get my bike from? Halfords. You mm-hmm. know what? I'm going to go to Halfords and buy my bike. It's, it's where kids get their first bikes yeah. usually, and it's not for bike nerds like us. It's for people who poodle about, you know. And but and but the Carreras, they're really good bikes, aren't they? Well, you won't race them, but you know. It's okay for commuting things. Isn't yeah, yeah. That, I mean, I, I see that, loads of them around.
2: We've got one here somewhere. I think we did. Yeah. We did an entry level bike video on one. It was. It was all right. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt that if someone wanted to buy the bike, they would have set it up correctly. Yes, but I'm not going to say that as fact. No. That is <laughs> speculation.
3: Yeah. Yes, but I'll go back to the, saying a bike. Bike nerds like us would never ever buy a bike from Halfords. Age. It's non-bike nodes that buy bike, their bikes from there, unless it was a Boardman. Did they sell still sell Boardman? Uh, I think they bought Boardman, didn't they? Yeah, they did. They yeah. they did it once
2: upon a time. I yeah. don't know. I haven't yeah. seen a. I haven't seen yeah. Boardman's around in a long time. No, it's, yeah. Does I mean, anyone know in the comments of this video slash podcast? Let us know what happened to Boardman. You yeah. can email in as well if you want. Yeah. Wild Ones Podcast at CadeMedia.co.uk. Now, on to our big question. What cycling moments would the most memorable for you to comment on? So you've been commenting 16 grand tours over the last decade. Yeah. Um, I want to know some of the most iconic moments that you've had a microphone in your face and you've been going,
0: oh, my God. Yeah,
3: some of these uh, I've been commentating on some of these. Um, it's me there on the ground, actually... Um, on location yeah in front of the camera so they're not all commentary the first one was the first day at the tour
2: kind of as as a non-tv person that's yeah. the same thing to me commentating and being there with okay the all right okay yeah okay fair enough <laughs> i'm sure it's a different job to you but to <laughs> yeah. me it's the same thing yeah.
3: uh, for me commentary is when you're in the con booth going and um and then being on location is you're kind of presenting as well so got you yeah so uh, the, the first stage we ever did with the Tour de France, it finished in Harrogate, and that's when Cav fell off his bike at the finishing line and broke his collarbone. And uh, stage one, and that happened right in front of me, and I, and I saw what happened, and I saw him go like that, and I saw the way that he held his body, went, oh, no, oh, mate. Yeah,
2: that's the first ever...
3: First ever
2: stage that yeah. you were part of yeah. and it was the twenty fourteen Tour de France that yeah. started or in, finished in, in harrogate Yeah.
3: Yeah. When it started in New Yorkshire. And it was um you know, it was gutting, you know, and to see you know, you could see his gel just go down. I, I knew exactly what happened. Yeah. Oh no, he's broken his collarbone. And, you know, starting in the UK and yeah, for a British rider, for that to happen to him, you know, it's just terrible. Been,
2: uh, that's yeah, probably just the UK part of that must have been yeah. so like significant. And yeah, he so that's stage
3: to... one that he got uh, got the injury. So can you imagine if he w- would have gone on to win a bunch of stages mm-hmm. in 2014, he would have beaten Merckx's record by yeah. now, and not just equal it. So yeah, what could have happened, eh? Yeah, well, but that, st- that was gutting. Can. Yeah. <laughs> Still can, somehow. Yeah, but the, 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 that was totally gutting. Just And the way that he held it, oh, oh mate. What other ones have you got for us then? Oh, Paranese Nice. Garant won. Garant Thomas won the 2016 Parinice, And that's the first time um, we ever realised that he was a GC rider. Because yeah. he was a classics guy, wasn't he? Um, and then he won Parinice, And I thought, that's the first time I thought, oh, my God. He's a bit good, this guy. He can actually do something because when we started broadcasting from the tour, he was the poster boy, but he was domestique yeah. You know, we weren't expecting him to win anything. You know, but he was—he was, he was Gareth Thomas, the best rider in Wales, and he happens to be a, a Grand Tour rider and um he's domestique, But we didn't care. And then we were—I com- was commentating on Paris Nice, and I was there in the booth when he won the damn thing. I was just like. Ooh, okay. Right. This is, this is getting very interesting. So yeah, it was quite a nice surprise for us all. And then a couple of years later, well, 2018. Well, 2017, uh, Dusseldorf, stage one of, of the tour, uh, he won the time trial. First Welshman ever to wear a yellow jersey. This is this is pretty good.
1: I
2: remember that really yeah. well as well because yeah. that was again one of those ones where you start sending it to people back home and yeah. like,
3: what is going on? Because Me and Rodri, the other presenter, were just looking look at each other. <laughs> did we just? Did that just happen? All of a sudden, the poster boy, he's wearing a yellow jersey like three years into the into the, uh, our contract with the Tour de France. You yeah. know, brilliant. It's Really good for us.
2: Well, yeah, it's, it's perfect, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? It yeah. just worked absolutely perfectly in terms of, yeah, that. presumably at that point you had no uh expectation of what was going to happen the following year.
3: No, but uh, well, obviously, <laughs> in, in that year he crashed out, um, unfortunately, but yeah, so in 2018, <laughs> he goes and wins the damn thing, you know, the Welsh guy winning the Tour de France, yeah, it's so, mad, isn't it? Yeah, then we went ballistic. We're live again from the Champs Elysees and. We got a message through our uh, in-ear systems going, we're extending the show by one hour. We're like, <laughs> <laughs> while we're on air. I right, go, oh, God. <laughs> Improvise for an hour. We got Geraint's dad in to do an interview in Welsh. We got Brailsford in to do an interview in Welsh. In we, Welsh? Yeah. Dave Brailsford in, lived in uh, Dainiol in North Wales. Oh, really? A kid, so he, sp- he speaks Welsh. Sarah, Geraint's wife. Uh, in in Welsh, we got Sarah's dad. We got everybody <laughs> who could speak Welsh. On the sh- there were so many Welsh flags in the Champs Elysees that, that day. Uh, oh yeah, you, you know the, the flag that that he had. Yeah, that was my flag. <laughs> so in the time trial of the previous day, Brailsford ran through the zone technique. The media bit uh, backstage at the tour, and he saw us. He said, um, uh, we, "We've always got a, uh, the, the Welsh flag on our gazebo outside yeah. the truck or whatever." So he, he run. He said, "Can I have this?" <laughs> And I always buy the Welsh flag, the tradition that I buy it. And he r- ripped it down and gave it to Geraint. So at the end of the time trial, that day, that's Geraint wearing my flag around his shoulders. And that's him on the Champs Elysees with the flag around his shoulders on the podium as well. And, and I, uh, my line was, um, I said, oh, this is really going to get him back on. This is really going to tug at the heart, heartstrings. And my line, line was, the dragon is around his shoulders, but it's also around his heart, and then and I started bloody crying <laughs> as I said that. Tears kicked down my my cheek, and I totally choked up on live tally. <laughs> it's <was> like, <laughs> yeah. So and yeah, and apparently got a lot of people back home. But it wasn't. I wasn't. I wasn't supposed to get myself. Yeah. But yeah, I yeah, I made myself emotional on live tally, so that was. A...
2: I I would imagine doing that job, especially. As a Welshman, in Welsh language, with a Welsh winner, there's just there was just I bet the that little bubble that you were in was absolutely
3: buzzing. Well, it was because uh, we're such a small nation. It's stuff like that doesn't happen to us. We might win at the rugby once in a while, yeah, the Grand Slam or something like that. But um, you know, with football or any other big big sports, it doesn't really happen to us. You know this is the equivalent of winning the world cup you know mm-hmm. winning the tour de france is one of the, the biggest sports um uh events of the uh, of the year you know it's one of the most watched sports events you know it's up there with the olympics and whatever or with, have you
2: i actually looked it up the other the other day it's allegedly i'm saying allegedly because it's based on the A- aso's figures the second biggest sporting event in the world after the football world cup Yeah. So annually, it is, I think, the joint. I think the the, uh, Super Bowl is the only equivalent to the Tour de France on an annual basis.
3: Yeah, for something like that to happen to such a small nation as Wales, you know, a nation of three million people, Mm -hmm. which doesn't really win that much because it's such a small nation, it was insane and just blew our tiny little minds.
2: We've done a very typically Welsh thing here, and we've actually just talked about Wales. (laughs) for like the last 20 minutes. Um, Sorry. (laughs) But now wrapping up our section dedicated to Wales, um, (laughs) the the last one on your list was from the 2021 Tour de France and all things Wout van Aert.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer.
1: LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today.
3: Oh, God, yeah, the um, Von2. You know, when he won the Von2, it was just like... And it wasn't just one Vontour; they, they climbed it twice. Yeah, and, you know, and so in that tour, he'd won the queen stage, he won the time trial, and he won uh, the sprint stage at the Champs Elysees, which is incredible. You know, it's one of those things you n- never ever see. You know? That guy's so talented. He he's a better mountain domestique than a lot of the main climbers and the rest of the peloton. <laughs> he's just insane. You know, it's got this power as well. It's, just, it's not talent it's just power he's just that strong he's he's a big boy isn't he He is one
2: of the the few cyclists that is so dominant at what he does that he doesn't he have like an a glimpse of arrogance about him Mm. and i think that's actually quite rare because you you get a lot of like you know like sagan like i love sagan but like you know he's doing pulling wheelies up mountains and things and he's like messing about and things and there's kind of a bit like I'm he knows he he knew he was good and he let everyone know that Mm. which is fine because that was his thing and he was good but like Wout van A, he just always seems just he just wants to get to business he doesn't want to faff about he's like right let's just go and win
3: some stuff well yeah there's been a lot of talk about him doing Giro GC at the Giro and Mm -hmm. said I don't want to do it because I don't want to come fifth or ever but you know if he was like 10 kilos lighter than what he was and a little bit shorter, you know, that guy will be winning t- um, uh, Grand Tours, mm. yeah. But then again, winning something like the, um, the Von Two stage in 2021, you know, that is a one-off. He would have been knackered the next day. He wouldn't have been able to do that again on the next stage, yep. you know, because he would have left everything on that road. And, uh, yeah, but I think if, if he was 10 kilos lighter and a little bit shorter, then he'd be up there with Wingo and and the rest of those guys.
2: We were talking about the 2022 Paris-Roubaix and all of the excellent things that came from that.
3: Well, the, yeah, 2022 Paris-Roubaix, that's when they were racing from the off basically and you know that first 100 odd kilometers without the cobbles where they just put along when the, but there was uh, echelons and it just went it just kicked off. Yeah. and it was like a, a, the craziest one-day race I've ever seen from beginning to end you know it was just like just non-stop action yeah so it was probably one of the well for me the best one-day race I've ever seen but the one the year before as well the, one of the terrible weather the first Bay fam um or the women's paris Bay, whatever they call it you know, with was uh, Lizzie Dignam, that was just a masterclass in cycling you know the way that she went off on her own rode, rode off solo in that horrible weather, in all the mud, and the way that she kept on correcting you know, her back uh, wheel would slip out, she'd correct it, and just like just a master in cycling proper skill, isn't that? It? Was one of the best. That's not
2: that's not blagging,
3: no, that's one of the best cycling I've ever seen. For, yeah. for one person showing me how to ride a bike is that that's how you do it, Lizzie Dignan 2021 uh, Paris Bay.
2: I remember me and Emily watching that, and we were just losing it, yeah, which is why when we went to the charity event, the Garmin charity event a couple of weeks ago, I was trying to convince Emily to buy, to bid an extortionate amount of money on Lizzie Dugnam's uh, signed jersey.
3: Oh God, how much did it go for? Two and a
2: half grand, but she agreed (laughs) to ride with the person that won.
0: I'm just hoping one day she'll agree to come on our podcast. She should do. Instead.
3: Yeah, Yeah, she's a bit of a legend. She's training for the Olympics now. Yeah, after two babies. Incredible! What a sports person she is. Mm-hmm. You know, just, what an amazing athlete! You know, to do that, it's just <laughs> wild.
2: Have, have you ridden cobbles?
3: Yeah, I hate it. Same. I absolutely hate it. I went. Um, we had a day off in Brussels, so I took the trainer to Audenada, and I did a loop. It's called the Orange Loop, uh, that took in Copperberg, Audequaimont, uh, and a bunch of other famous bits from uh, Flanders, and I was like, this is horrible. I never, ever want to do it again. So I've never done it again. I hate it. It's the most difficult thing. Uh, Doing uh, Copperberg, right, it's the most difficult thing I've ever done on a bike. And I've done all the big climbs in the Alps, you know, all of them. But doing that little 1K climb is the most difficult thing I've ever done in my entire life. Because it was in October, it was all greasy, just like... And I filmed myself doing it as well. And it's very, very funny. It's like, it's, yeah, I was a mess. Never, ever, ever want to do cobbles ever again. And I have the utmost respect to all those guys and girls, ladies and gentlemen who do that, that type of racing. It's, you know, having done it for an afternoon, I never, ever want to do it again.
2: <laughs> and this is why pro cyclists quit yes. riding bikes. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Time for another round of overrated or underrated. I'm going to read out a list of things and Perry's going to tell me if he thinks they're overrated or underrated. Okay. These were suggestions by Greg who said, I'm a distance runner and motorcyclist who realized I'm missing the obvious best of both worlds. Your content convinced me to take up cycling and I'm loving it. Like McDonald's it seems. And I, uh, I have some beginner cyclist overrated underrateds for you. Carbon forks on entry-level aluminium bikes.
3: Underrated. I think a, that means that it's a good idea, right? Yeah. It's so much nicer, the ride with a, with carbon forks.
2: Yeah. I actually really like this because that's the kind of thing that bike nerds like us will go, well, yeah, obviously it's better. Yeah. But actually, it is a really good beginner question because you probably go, well, I don't know, do I need a carbon fork? Yeah. If you can have one, the answer is yes, it will nearly always be more comfortable.
3: Yeah, because you you know what? Every time I've ridden a bike, a cheaper bike that has got an alloy uh, set set of forks, it's like, oh my God, this is so horrible. It's such a harsh ride. Mm -hmm. You'd think it wouldn't make that much difference, but it actually does. It's also,
2: weight isn't everything, but it's also a very easy place to save a bit of weight on a bike.
3: I mean the bike I'm riding at the minute is an alloy one. I've got a Canyon that I'm I'm using and I just love it. Yeah.
2: Underrated, agreed. Yep. Uh upgrade into a dedicated bike computer instead of a watch.
3: Yes, underrated. Yeah, it's I mean if you, I had was it, you know, the Garmin Forerunner? Yeah. I have one. I had a very 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 early one and yeah. Uh, they're on, on my wrist for a bit, and it's just like, this it's really dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> How fast am I going? Who cares? But it's like, hey. It's, yeah, always dedicated. It, You've got bigger screen, does more stuff. It's in color. It's p- pretty pictures, yeah. Even the cheaper ones are, are great now.
2: I'm going to disagree on this one. Why? So uh, the modern watches do as much Potentially even more than well, no, at least as much as a bike computer, and uh, this is the triathlon me, triathlete in me coming out.
3: Running and swimming. What do you want
2: to do? Because that it's for? a watch, it doesn't mean it has to be on your wrist.
3: Well, yeah, you can have those thingies that exactly. So yeah, you yeah. could
2: just attach it to your bike. Yes, it will be a small but
3: screen. That's what I did with my forerunner. I got the attachment yep. that uh, goes on the on the handlebar, but it's still
2: just tiny. Or you can be a sniper and turn your watch around so it's actually on your inside of your wrist.
3: Well, if you're on the hoods or if you're on the tops like that. Well, like. just
2: just Well, if you're on the tops, you're not caring about anything then, are you? <laughs> you're not thinking, oh, how fast am I going?
3: If you're going uphill, you yeah. <laughs> are. Oh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I'm doing 25 kilometres an hour up Abdues. I've never done that but you know, in my dreams. But, yeah, anything. If you can see the screen... Yeah, definitely on the handlebars rather than. I mean, yeah, now those watches do everything, but the big screen though is that is one yeah. hell.
2: I think. It, I think then that comes down to how much riding you're doing. If yeah. you ride loads, or your intention is to do, you know, five hours a week, yeah. ten hours a week, then it's probably the point where you might be going, where you might be thinking a dedicated computer is a better option.
3: For me, it's always been handy because when I go on tour in on a tour bus. I take my bike with me and if I, oh, it, it's brilliant. So, and if there's a oh, distance you between. married your worlds <laughs> together yeah. so well. So if there's a distance between two gigs. I will ride it. Yeah. So the first time I did it was probably 2010. Um, I bought one of those paradise bags, you know, the, the, the canvas bags. Yeah. Um, uh, like <laughs> a saddle bag thing. And I went from, we had a gig festival in Zurich. And the next festival was a week later in San nazaire on the west coast of France. So the guys went back to the UK. I, I, I just cycled a, across, across France I into a headwind uh, yeah. for six days solid. But I still got there before the tour bus did. And, and, and that's what I do. So. And for me, a, a computer is very, very handy. You have to have one, really. I know you're going – I was going in a straight line, but still the route – a big group on the handlebars in front of me.
2: Next time an opportunity like that comes yeah. around, I'm coming with you. Okay. you know, that's where, that's where best friends really oh, become best, course, best friends.
3: Of course, yeah. We, we could do a film about it. You
0: <laughs> should do it on a tandem. <laughs> yeah.
3: On a, no, that's a bit too much. <laughs> yeah. No, but um, and the last time I did it was when I was on tour with Faithless. And um, it was obviously just before COVID. And um, I started from Zurich again and went to Ghent. So over four days day one was over the Black Forest, day two was over the Vosges mountains, day three was over the Ardennes, and day four was over Flanders, but I missed out all the cobbles. Nice. Yeah, so I just love doing that type of stuff. But, and, you know, my Garmin, the Edge, it's like, I've got a brand new one now, which is mint. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's take, well, I've done hundreds of thousands of kilometers in it, so.
2: Washing your bike after every ride.
3: I don't like raid, uh, riding in the wet. As the reason I don't like riding in the wet, because, you know, this thing here. Collarbone. That is very, very important for my job. So anything, any type of risk that's involved with cycling, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a risky sport anyway, isn't it? You know, mm-hmm. You're on two wheels, two skinny wheels going really, really fast. Uh, <laughs> not really. But for me, the risk is too much, you know, I've, I've i've stacked my bike a few times and i've come off quite a few times and luckily i haven't broken anything but you know gets into your head stuff like if that, doesn't that it? If, I, if that breaks and I'm, it's a week before a tour tour's over mm-hmm. so I, I can't do that so um i only kind of ride when the net weather's nice or, or dry yeah so my bike doesn't really get that muddy so I don't do it. If I, if I was riding in the mud, then yeah, definitely, because you would destroy my components. But the way that I ride, um, no.
2: So you're saying an overrated, overrated? Overrated, yeah. I'm going to agree. Yeah. Because, yeah, I do believe you should clean your bike regularly, but that doesn't mean you need to clean it every single time. No.
3: Yeah,
2: I agree. Uh, joining group rides?
3: Um, I do most of my riding on my own, so overrated. I live in South London now, but... Uh, we moved five years ago but there was a great group of people that I that rode with in North London in, uh there's a bike shop in Hackney called Pretorius mm-hmm. Pretorius Bikes and uh, uh, so, and I used to ride out with them every Saturday and Sunday and that was amazing really lovely lovely bunch of people and uh, it, a, it a solid group of, of cyclists as well Theo uh, Gegenhart used to come and ride with us you know Dan Craven used to ride with us as well so we had some really really good riders coming out with us and some of the you know some very very talented riders but it was so much fun and if you can get in with a really good bunch of mates then it's brilliant
2: that that's the point i was going to make yeah it's underrated subject to the people you're riding with yes
3: it's i mean you wouldn't go out to to the pub with people that you hate right you know imagine you're going to the pub and a couple of people, and you just don't like them. Yeah. That would be miserable. It's well, the same thing with uh, riding your bike, really. It's what
2: happens when I go to the Pope with Francis. <laughs> I just have to put up with him for, for a bit.
3: <laughs> He's going to see this. You know.
2: Right, one last one. Yeah. Being a rock star, overrated or underrated?
3: Overrated. Is it? Yeah. Uh,
2: it will always be the, like, pinnacle, pedestal, job, it, career thing for me.
3: It. it I, I, I am very, very lucky that I get to do what I do. Incredibly lucky, and I, and I do pinch myself, actually, you know, when you're on stage going, Uh, but you know, it is, you just call it a job, it is a job, and you yeah. kind of get used to it, but I do step back and I go, not everybody gets to do this. What's you the biggest
2: are, biggest crowd you've performed in front of? 150,000. Oh, that is absolutely wild. Yeah,
3: those um, Hyde Park with Natalie Imbruglia. Yes, I played with Natalie Bruyere for nine years. So, yeah, we did the um, it was um, there's a Princess Trust gig, and <laughs> about to go on stage, and you know, you go on. He did uh, that gig. Everybody did like four songs. And take that, we're doing it. It's, just, it's a very pop thing. Yeah, and um, and it was every, you'd get introduced, and um, there was this guy waiting to uh, introduce us and we, we were stood at the side of the stage. So was he, and I was looking at him, I know him from somewhere. I'm like, is that the singer from Delamitri? Uh, he, he turned around at me and he winked at me and said, "Right." And, then, <laughs> and and he walked on stage first, obviously, and then everybody, and the main presenter went, ladies and gentlemen, David DeCovney is bloody Fox Mulder. It's like, oh my God. <laughs> It's Fox Mulder off of the X-Files. just winked at me. <laughs> so yeah, that was, yeah. Funny little moments like that is, uh, makes it,
2: yeah. I think uh, when I occasionally meet uh, people that are at the absolute top end of whatever they're doing, I always find it really surprising to learn that a lot of people in that place are just kind of like normal people. And, yeah. And are actually also kind of like, Oh, it's mad that I do this. Yeah, yeah. I think there's actually very few people that get to that level and actually just like, yeah, this is me. Yeah. This this is this is always been me. It's, it's actually kind of like, wow, this is this is this is huge. Yeah. Uh, am
3: I any different to anybody else you've ever met? Yeah, yeah. You're a rock star. <laughs>
2: no, but if
3: if you didn't know what my job was, you, you had be... champagne with breakfast. <laughs> you bought your own caviar. <laughs> Apart from the champagne and the caviar, that um. <laughs> I think I'm just a normal bloke. No, you are. You I'm are. A, a bit gobby, but you know, I'm just
2: you're you're yeah, you you're very grounded. You're a very normal person. And that's what that just gets to do really cool stuff.
3: And most people in the music industry are like that.
0: I think uh, there's a lot of celebrities who are who are not grounded though as well. I know? have met a couple There's some weirdos.
3: Yeah, oh, go on, but, but then again, in real life, in just in normal life, there are those people as well. True, very true. It's just mm-hmm. like, you know, there are some people who go, I don't and sometimes those weirdos get to be famous. You know, it, it's not being weird. That's not a trait to be a celebrity. You know, being a weirdo. Yeah, it's, a, it's like in all walks of life, you get odd people. So
2: enters Francis Cade and Jimmy Nichols. <laughs> <laughs> uh, keep sending in your overrated, underrated suggestions to Wild Ones Podcast at cademedia.co.uk and we might read yours out in the next show. Next on to Fluff Up of the Week.
0: Fluff oh, Up oh, of the Week. Oops.
2: This week we have a Perry edition of Fluff Up of the Week. Do you remember what, you, what story you were going to tell us? It actually isn't from this week. It was from, wasn't it a touring, a touring mishap?
3: Oh, sh! what was it?
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs>
2: all that rockstar lifestyle, isn't it? Yeah. At least those memories start disappearing. God, I'm so
3: drunk right now, you wouldn't believe that. It's no. all that champagne for no. breakfast. I haven't had a drink in two weeks. Honestly. <laughs> okay, my fluff of it's not a fluff of the week, it happened years ago. Uh, I was doing a gig in Wales. Uh, my old Welsh band that I had ages ago, um, Welsh language band. We did a gig in Cardiff, and, um and we were in, I think possibly the halfway in of is it Pontcan Arms? Is that is that a pub? Uh, or it could be in the halfway, not the halfway pub.
2: Halfway, what in Flanders? Yeah, so I literally, I th- I believe it is called the halfway because it's in between the two cathedrals.
3: That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. just off Cathedral Road. Yeah, and oh, <laughs> uh, local knowledge. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so we're in the pub. We're on our way to another gig, and we're just, we're just having lunch there. And somebody came around, you know, the, um, the seafood guys, they sell cockles and mussels and uh, whelks and stuff. And so <laughs> I was eating my lunch, so I really fancy some cockles and some whelks and some mussels, so I bought everything, <laughs> one of each. And I, I just love seafood and I ate the whole lot.
2: I feel like I know where this might yeah. be going.
3: <laughs> so then we had a gig in Lamperton, the university in Lamperton. so in the main hall, so we <laughs> it was the first song, and I started playing. And I started felt felt really ill, and I was going to puke, so <laughs> I just moved, shuffled to the side of the stage. And there was a curtain there, you know, the curtains in universities. You no, know, it's it's yeah. the main hall, and there was some nice up- upholstered chairs there. You know that that the principal of and the, lect- the main professors sit on. <laughs> I went at the curtain and just went. And I puked all over them. And then, yeah, I emptied my, my stomach of vomit and went back and finished off the gig.
2: So presumably everyone watching that would be like, wow, they are rock stars, absolutely wrecked off their heads, chundering up all over the place and still playing. But actually it was some dodgy shellfish. Yeah, it was seafood.
3: <laughs> yeah, it was whelks. <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's the worst thing that's ever happened to me on stage.
2: That's not, that's not
3: too bad. I mean, it was horrible at the time. Yeah, I'm sure And it I feel, felt really sorry for the chairs, and especially the person that had to clean them.
1: Especially afterwards. the person sitting on my like Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I, I felt really bad, yeah. Thank you for sharing that story. It's all right.
2: <laughs> time for more listeners takeover, and we have a question from Sam. I'm new to cycling, especially to road cycling culture. Is there a thing of what saddle-to-handlebar drop ratio is seen as appropriate or cool, to be a serious cyclist or should I not care about this and just keep riding? I've consulted a bike fitting service for choosing the frame size and riding position and I'm at a five centimetre saddle to bar drop and I'm comfortable with it. The setup just doesn't look that sporty or pro but I'm not that into racing and more into long distance rides. Should I be worried about this and does anybody else even care about this except me?
3: If you're Comfortable on the bike, then that's the right fit. doesn't matter how high your saddle is. You know, it's all to do with how, how long your legs are, really. Mm-hmm. If you've got short legs and you've got a high saddle, it's just not going to work. So um, don't worry about how high your saddle is, what it looks like. If it's comfortable, then it's the right uh, height. Uh, um, I've been lucky enough to go on uh, training camps with, with some pros, and I asked this same question to You a love pro. a name drop, don't you? Oh, yeah, I didn't see <laughs> what the pros were. <laughs> um and, and I asked the same question, I asked them about a bike fit, and, and the answer was: if you can go out for a five-hour ride, and when you get back and you can walk without any pain, that's your bike's right. So if if that saddle height is fine for you, if you can go out for hours and come back. And walk around without any pain and not have any any issues on the bike. It's exactly the right height for you. There's no actual height that your saddle should be anyway.
2: When I got into cycling and cycling, when I did that, cycling was like a social media thing. There was lots of little collectives popping up and everything was about being cool and looking cool. And at that point, which is probably a decade ago now, it was a big saddle to bar drop looked better. And I'm assuming that he, that Sam is thinking about that as in like, what should my bike look like? And I think the more I've gone on with riding, the more bikes I've ridden, the more I am in your camp where you are now, which is, I do not care what it looks like as long as it fits right, it rides well, it feels right. It has that nice, when, when I get out of the saddle, it's got that zip that I want it to have and if that means that the bars are higher than the saddle or i've got i don't know one wheel i just i don't know something stupid i don't care i do not care what it looks like i don't care what i look like on the bike or what i'm wearing i want it to be comfortable and enjoyable and i want to be able to keep coming back to that bike and enjoying it and that's my priority well, yeah. and that's what everyone should prioritize in my opinion
3: yeah even if you go back to look at the pros you know when they had steel bikes you know the top two was basically like that. Yeah. Horizontal. You may, maybe see that much of a, a um, the seat tube, you know, on some of them. You mm-hmm. know? So they'd be quite flat looking. So, yeah, wouldn't worry too much about it. And it's all to do with, as well with the top tube, how, how far, you know, um, wasn't it the giant TCR was the first bike with the top tube that sloped a little bit, I think. Um, so it's, however, whatever the angle is on your top tube, then, your saddle's going to look higher anyway, so it all depends on the geometry of the bike itself. Yeah, Or yeah. the frame itself, sorry.
2: Yeah. Uh, Sam, I would say, I feel like a proper, like, agony aunt. It's like, a, well, like one of those little columns, isn't it? Dear Deidre. De- <laughs> dear Deidre, yeah. I could be Deidre. Um, d- don't worry about it. Don't, don't care what people think. Um, enjoy riding your bike and do whatever you need to do to enjoy riding your bike comfortably and want to keep coming back to it. If you want to send in any questions or stories for us to read out on future episodes, you can by sending them to wildonespodcast at cademedia.co.uk. That's the third time I've said that. Hopefully we're going to get lots of emails this week. Uh, that's all for this episode. Thank you very much for joining us, Perry. Francis is back next week. Is he? Yes, he is.
0: Francis is technically back now, but he will be in next week's episode. Yes. Also. Uh,
2: if you like this episode, leave us a five-star review. Follow, subscribe, share, etc. Thank you. Goodbye. Oh, I should have said that, shouldn't I? Diolch. <laughs> Diane. Learned that from Garrett Thomas.
0: <laughs> Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm, Hello Fresh